Good grief. That means I was on during the singing. You didn't record anything, did you? <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> hey, thank you guys. You can take your seats. Are you comfortable? We've got about the next 20 minutes together, so you might as well wriggle around a bit, get, get comfortable, relax. I'm not going to uh, pick on anybody or pull anybody out the front until the end. So until that happens, you might as well just chill. Because I want to talk this morning about... Life. Who likes life? Yeah. Who's pretty, uh, pretty enamoured with it? Stuck with it? Um, the interesting thing is that life isn't just life. There's actually more to life than life. It reminds me of a, of a anybody here a Star Trek fan? Because there's a, there's a line from a Star Trek movie, and I, I think I've got... Uh, up here, it's life, Jim, but not as we know it. And although it sounds like McCoy, it's actually Spock who said that. And the interesting thing about that line is that it was never spoken in any Star Trek episode. It was actually made famous by a 1987 song called Star Trekking in the Universe. Um, and I didn't get a track for that to play because it's an absolutely horrible song. <laughs> but... It's interesting that whether that line was ever spoken or not, that's actually true of the Christian life. It's life, but not as most people know it. And there's something special about the Christian life that actually comes from our relationship with God. It's actually a God-breathed life. And it's actually really important to understand that there's, there's more to life than the mechanics of our living. And the, the part of life that that brings us is different. It's life, but not as other people know it. In fact, Jesus instructs us in this new form of life in a conversation he has with this Pharisee called Nicodemus. And he, he, he's talking to Nicodemus about the, the necessity to be born again. And just to set the scene, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Which means, I mean, it sounds a bit like I'm swearing, but um, the Pharisees were a, a, a group of uh, Jewish uh, religious people who studied the law of Israel meticulously. In fact, they'd studied the law so much they had laws about the law. In fact, they had laws about the laws that were about the law. That They, they were nitpickers, to put it mildly. And so Nicodemus has asked Jesus what this stuff about being born again is. And when I read the Bible, I thought, well, yeah, well, that's a, that's a reasonable question because it, it seems a bit different. And it's interesting. Je Jesus' response to, to Nicodemus's question is in the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 5. And he replies, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. 
Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Now, that's a, you know, that sounds a bit symbolic, doesn't it? You sort of think, well, yeah, he's talking about the wind and he's talking about the Spirit. It's sort of an answer that's, that's couched in, in religious symbolism. And you think, well, no wonder poor old Nicodemus is confused. I mean, it sounds as though Jesus is trying to confuse him. And yet if we understand that this isn't the first time the idea of the breath of God, the wind of the Spirit, a, a spiritual rebirth, a spiritual life as opposed to our normal physical life is mentioned in the Bible. In fact, Nicodemus should have known better because he studied all of these things. So he, he actually knows what Jesus is talking about. Have you ever met somebody that you've talked about something and you've discussed something and you know they know what you're talking about, but they pretend they don't? And, and so they'll ask leading... It's like they're, they're trying to see if you really know the answer to the question you're, that they're asking. And so they'll, they'll test you. And you sort of think, well, you know this. Why are you asking these questions? Suddenly it twigs. They're just trying to get more information out of me. And then Nicodemus is a bit like that. He, he's, he's actually testing Jesus' credentials. He understands what Jesus says. And we know this because if you, if you look, and, and this, this ties in, we have, who, who, no, I won't ask that question. If you weren't at the prayer meeting on Wednesday, you missed an incredible prayer meeting. And what I'm preaching on today touches quite a bit on, on what we prayed about on, on Wednesday night and about, about the breath of God and about the, the purpose and the plans God has for us and the life God has for us. And... Uh, and Brendan referenced this uh, verse in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 37. And it's the valley of the dry bones. And I'm going to read it to you. It says, the Lord took hold of me. And this is, this is a prophecy. So this is, this is Ezekiel being spoken to by God and shown things which have prophetic re re relevance and relevance. There's a new word. It says, the Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. Now, if you wanted God to take you somewhere, that's not the first place I'd choose. A valley filled with bones. Okay. But you'd be intrigued, wouldn't you? It was like, what is this? He led me around all among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? That's a bit of a leading question. You sort of you got the spirit of God there. You're looking at these things, and you, th you I mean, if it was me, anyway, you think these are dead. I mean, dried. You know, there's no life in here whatsoever. But Ezekiel was probably a bit cleverer than me, and he said, "Oh, sovereign Lord," I replied, "You alone know the answer to that." So he was he was being very clever there. But then. The Spirit said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I'll put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. And suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. 
The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. And then as I watched, muscle and flesh formed over the bones and then skin formed to cover their bodies. But they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. You see, we can see... At least I can see, I hope we can all see, that the, that the language being used here is the same as in John chapter 3. He's talking about the breath. He's talking about the wind of the Spirit. And so there's a, there's a type of life. I mean, who's ever watched you know, Return of the Mummy or one of those movies? We've actually seen a cinematic representation of this in a lot of movies where you know, skeletons come together and get animated and fight you with sword. Well, of course, that doesn't happen here, but he mentions an army, so it might. Um, but you can, there's a form of life, of animation, that we can see in our bodies. I mean, one of the first ways of telling if somebody's alive is you can see they're moving. There's a joke about... No, I won't go into that. Um, but movement doesn't necessarily imply the sort of life that Jesus wants us to have. There's got to be something more. And so even though these bones were animated, they had muscle and sinew and flesh, there was not the breath of life in them until he prophesied that breath. There's even talk of it earlier in the Bible. Right back to the beginning of mankind. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says, The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. So we are, we are composed of the world that God created. He created the world, and that out of that creation, he created mankind. And mankind was formed from that world, but didn't live until he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Life comes from God. We are formed out of the very substance of the world we live in, and everything that makes us us comes from the world that God created except life. Our life was breathed into us by God himself. The very source of our life is the breath of God. Now, having looked at the Old Testament, we can see, I hope, why Jesus was taking Nicodemus to task. Because one, the life imparted by the breath of God was essential to the very creation of the human race as described in Genesis 2. And Nicodemus would have been aware of that. And that same breath of God was central to the prophecy in Ezekiel 37 and lots of other prophecies in the Old Testament, which promised the restoration of Israel. And we know that Nicodemus was extremely interested in that. So those concepts were actually very important to the Jewish leaders at this time of Roman occupation because they were looking for a sign from God, a sign that they were actually going to be able to overthrow their Roman overlords. So it was important to the Pharisees, but why is it important to us? How, how does that relate to our day-to-day -day life? Because we know the history of Israel. We know, we've 
read and heard of the prophecies that are in the Old Testament, but how does that apply to you and me? Is it in the New Testament? Paul writes to a church in Corinth, small church, 13,000 people or so, and he's talking to them about what the church actually is. And in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, he talks again about the human body. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Wow. We're a body. Now, whether you think that's a really good-looking body or whether you think that needs some work, well, even he says, some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slave and some are free. So we're all a bit different. And it says, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has different parts, not just one. When the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? I mean, if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Who votes for us all being an ear? <laughs> but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. So here we've got a passage which lays out the whole diversity of the church in front of us. And the one thing holding it together is the breath of the Holy Spirit on the church. The breath of God actually is the only thing that stops the church being a total, utter, utter disaster in this world. In fact, it probably should have crashed and burned about 70 AD. And that's probably being generous. Because of the difference. Who knows that the people you are sitting next to are different from you. Some of them may not even like you. They may, but they love you. But the, the, the fact that the church has survived millennia is because it's held together by the one thing that gives us life. And that's the breath of God. The breath of God is all important for our life because it separates us from normal life. It's life, but not as everybody knows it. Our job is to actually breathe the breath of God into people who don't have that breath. To actually breathe something important into other people. That's what salvation is. It's receiving the breath of God. And the interesting thing is that our lives have the opportunity to be God-breathed in all aspects of it. But guess what? They're not. Because we often do things that are not God-breathed. We make decisions. We, 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 we plan things. And, that, and our habit is often to actually plan stuff and then ask God afterwards. Hey, God, I've got this plan. Can I just pray and have your blessing on that? And uh, we pray, and if we feel good about it, we say, well, yeah, well, I think God's blessed that plan. Actually, we need to 
understand that the, God, the plans God has for our life are actually God-breathed. And if we fall in line with God's plans, that's where we have a God-breathed future for us. It says it absolutely beautifully in uh, Brendan and Kirsty's favorite book, the book of James. And James 4 verse 13 says, Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. Who's ever made plans like that? It's great. Let's go and do this, make some money, buy a house, have children, all those plans that we have. And he says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. Positive. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. See, that's what a God-breathed life is. It's actually doing what the Lord wants us to. And the thing that we hate about that is that we think, well, it's my life. I want to do what I want to do. What if God, what God wants to do isn't what I want to do? What if God is a small-minded God and he wants me to be miserable all my life? What if his plans for my life aren't as big as mine? I don't know who your God is, but if that's what you're thinking, get rid of him. Because we know that God's plans and purposes for our life are beyond what we can even dream or imagine. Taking on a God-breathed plan, taking on God's plans in your life is not a step down, it's a step up. But sometimes we have to change our mindset to understand what that step up actually is. We need to take on board God's plans for our life and understand that that's what is God-breathed. Now, while I was preparing this message, I was praying. It's strange that that happens quite a bit. But I believe that God gave me some inspiration, if you like, for people that he wants me to give them this morning. And I'm going to do that right now. Can I Actually, can I get jawed up here? But the interesting thing about this and we might, if we can, just stop the recording there and perhaps make a separate one for this. Because um, I really, I love that scripture. That the kingdom of God is like a treasure that a man finds in a field, covers it up again, goes out, buys the field. Clever bugger. But that's how God sees us. He actually sees us as a treasure. And he so desires a relationship with us. He treasures us so much that he's willing to not just get the treasure, but to buy the field. And that means that if you think about that, he's willing to buy all the crap that's around us just to get at the treasure. He cares about us so much. That's how much he wants a relationship. He paid the ultimate price on the cross for us. But he takes us, not just us, but the field around us. And so I want to give you an opportunity. You may be here for the first time and have never 
Ask Jesus to have a relationship with you. You may have done it before and recognised that although you started a relationship, you've let that lapse. But Jesus has paid that price for you. He is willing to take as long as it takes to start or re-enter that relationship with you. So can I ask you just to close your eyes? And if you would like to start that relationship with Jesus or renew that relationship, I'd love to pray a short prayer with you to invite Jesus into your heart. And if that's you this morning, while nobody's looking around, can I ask you just to raise your hand high so that I can see it? I'll acknowledge that and we can pray a prayer together to invite Jesus into your heart. Is there anybody here this morning who would like to do that? Just raise your hand up high and we can pray to invite Jesus into your heart. Can I ask you all to open, open your eyes, look to the front. Let's just pray together. Let's pray a prayer of thanksgiving. and Thank God for what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. Lord, we give you the glory and the praise this morning. We thank you for the relationship we have with you. We thank you for the things that you've done in our lives. We thank you for the things that you are doing. And we just pray an incredible future for your children. In Jesus' name, amen.